Welcome to the Main Street to the World podcast, your passport to boundless travel inspiration and adventure. Brought to you by Coasters and Castles Travel, our podcast takes you on an exhilarating journey through a world of destinations and experiences. From the enchantment of Disney destinations and the thrills of Universal Studios parks and resorts, to the elegance of luxury travel and the tranquility of all-inclusive beach resorts. We delve into the diverse realms of travel. Join us as we explore the globe, sharing insights on theme park vacations, cruising, destination weddings, family travel, special needs travel, and so much more. Let your wanderlust be ignited and your horizons expanded as we unlock the treasures of travel together. And the hosts of the podcast are... Hi everyone, I'm April. I'm one of the owners of Coasters and Castles Travel and I love talking with you every week to tell you about our travel experiences and our opinions and recommendations. And I'm the proud mom of two kids that uh, love to travel with me. And hey everybody, I'm Whitney Maddox. Um, I have been a travel advisor with Coasters and Castles for seven years now. And um, I'm a homeschooling mom of two girls, so I always love to incorporate all that when we are in our travels. And we try to get down to Disney and other places every few months here and uh, keep all the good content coming to you so we can keep you updated on everything going on. And I'm Lynn. I'm the other owner of Coasts and Castles Travel. And I'm uh, kind of taking over the travel bug from my dad. My dad loved to travel. And never expected to be doing this in my life but this is where my path has has brought me we are you know exploring the world at this point now we started with areas we knew and checking out new destinations all the time and and happy to share that with welcome back to the main street to the world podcast we do want to thank you for those likes shares and subscriptions so we have a bit of a treat for you today this is part one in our series about American Queen Voyages Expedition Cruises to Alaska. So we actually have recorded a couple of these episodes in pieces while we were on the cruise in Alaska. And I'm going to be able to share with you some of that today and then some you will be able to see next week. So the first one we are going to talk to is, um, her name is Desha. She, her English name is Rachel Morano, and she is with um, the uh, tourism board for the Klingit people. And so we'll have that one for you today. And then um, we're also going to have another guest. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit with Christina and Jess. So Christina is one of the whale experts on board. She's a naturalist and a Zodiac driver, and Jess is the expedition leader. So we're going to have both of these for you on today's episode. And then next week, we're going to have Olin. He is from Cal Poly. And we're also going to have Sophia. And she is also a naturalist, and she also specializes in whales. So we have a lot of great stuff for you coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're also going to have another chat with Scott from American Queen Voyages, Uh, a little bit more about the expedition cruises. So that will be coming as well. So uh, I hope you enjoy this chat with Desha and uh, and then we'll come on a little bit later and introduce for you uh, Jess and Christina. Well, we are very pleased to welcome Desha 
Yes. Moreno. Is it with a uh, curled R or no? Oh, no, not necessarily. Moreno. Yes. Okay. Her English name is Rachel Moreno, yes. and she is from the Tlingit? Tlingit tribe. Tlingit mm-hmm. tribe. I keep trying to learn how to say it. <laughs> uh, it takes us a little time to sometimes right. understand all of that. And she is with us on American Queen Voyages Ocean Victory, which is their Alaskan exhibition cruise. And so we are very thrilled to have you here with us today so that we can learn about your culture. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. So could you introduce yourself to us? Let us know. Tell us about your tribe. Okay. Well, I'll do my formal Clinket introduction. This follows our protocol. What I just said is my Clinket name is Desha. It means the top woman of the clan. I got my great-grandmother's name. She was the daughter of a chief, and she married a chief from another village. And then I also said in my language, my moiety under my mother's raven, my clan under my mother's dog salmon, and then my moiety under my father is eagle, and my sub-clan under my father is Cogwantan killer whale. Oh, I love the killer whale part. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh Can you just tell us about moiety? What does that mean? Well, we borrowed the French word because the French word moiety means two halves of a whole. And so our entire tribe is divided by moieties, the eagle and raven. And so we're matrilineal. We follow our mother's side. And so my mother being of the raven moiety, I'm raven and my children are raven. My father's mother was eagle, so he was eagle. Okay. We see you in your beautiful regalia. Thank you, yes. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the significance of your hat and the The ermine ermine that come off? Yes, the ermine, um, there's two on my cedar hat. And this um, typically signifies status. Only people of status can have the ermine on their hat. The hat is woven of cedar bark. So Thinget women would strip fine pieces of cedar from the tree, around the tree, not taking off very much, just a little from each tree. And they would process the um, bark and strip it into fine strips and then weave hats and baskets, mats, even sails for our canoes. And then my robe is is a contemporary rendition of what we used to use before contact, which would have been hides with um, natural dye painted clan crests. This is wool and with buttons, commercial buttons. Um, When the Hudson Bay Trading Company, when the Russians and other explorers came up, they had Hudson Bay blankets. And so they traded with the Clinket people and other people for the blankets, for the wool blankets in exchange for things like hides and food and medicinal plants. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. So what traditions that, you know, have you still are still being followed today? Well, we're we're following what we know, what the remnants we have left of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, after contact, the laws dictated that we weren't allowed to speak our language in public. In order to become a citizen, we had to um, take on a name that could be pronounced, like English names. We had to... Uh, send our children to school, move into towns instead of our villages or fish camps. And we had to um, uh, only speak English in public and join a church just to be citizens. That didn't necessarily give us the right to vote. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today, our traditions that we follow are what the elders have been able to pass down from generation to generation. My great-grandparents, they were the first to westernize, to assimilate. And so my grandmother spoke Clinkett and English. English was her second language, but she also spoke Japanese because my mother's father was from Japan. Oh, okay. And so, um, and then my mother didn't learn to speak Japanese or Clinkett because by then their, her parents didn't want her to um, experience the, the difficulty and, and being in trouble and punished for speaking Clinkett in public. So she didn't learn Clinkett. So how did you learn it? Oh, my gosh. Um, it took me three days to learn how to introduce myself. I can understand that. <laughs> Only three days. Yes, I know. Three days. And so what I'm learning, what I know now, is what I've learned. And so I'm, I'm constantly in flux of learning more and more. And so this is a privilege to be able to share it with visitors, just with the little bit that I've learned. There there are programs in the schools to teach Clinkett and oh, other good. native languages. Mm-hmm. Um, children can take it from Head Start on up through college. And then because of, uh, well, one good thing that came from COVID is all the Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. And so instructors began to teach our language via Zoom. Okay. So anyone could take the language classes. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's nice, it's nice to have some assimilation, yes. but to still be able to retain your culture and your language. Right. And then that's, I think, how we're supposed to be as a melting pot. Right, right. So we can express ourselves in our language. There's words in our language that don't exactly translate into English, but we know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. There was an elder named um, Walter Sobolov who said, even if you're not fluent in Tlingit, you still think in Tlingit. Oh, okay. Yes, and I think that's very true. So we we teach, um, we still know how to do our dances, traditional dances, and we make new songs and dances as well. But the ones that go way back into our history are, are very important songs. They retell of events that happened to us or that we did um, amongst our society. Now, how long have you been kind of working with American Queen Voyages or, you know? Uh, this is a brand new contract for Alaska oh, Native Voices this year. I am the program manager for Alaska Native Voices. It's a nonprofit that's um, a subsidiary of Huna Totem Corporation. And Huna Totem Corporation operates the um, Icy Strait Point in Huna, okay. the big destination with the zip line and now they have a gondola ride, restaurants. Gondola ride. That seems a little strange. Oh, I know. I know. It's a high-speed one. And, oh, wow. Uh, there's restaurants. There's gift shops. There's um, uh, a Clinket dance show there. And oh, storytelling. So it's oh, a wonderful destination. Cool. Yes. Now, I've heard you mention before and talk about tribal tourism. Right. What is that? And, you know, how is that? How can someone try to get involved in in particular well it's it's not rel- it's not new but mm-hmm. um alaska native voices has been in operation for 24 years and so wow. we started out just uh having simple contracts with the cruise lines at the ports we did port presentations a welcome 
which is part of our Clickit protocol. So we'd welcome visitors to Juno, And then we started to um, extend the program to Glacier Bay. So we have a crew that lives in Gustavus, and they drive every day nine miles to the Bartlett Cove dock. They catch a small um, pilot vessel, and they board the ships with their park rangers for the day as it goes up Glacier Bay. So it's it's not a new concept, but it's growing. There mm-hmm. are a lot of other tribes and native groups around Alaska that are getting into tourism because the visitor wants to know, number one, that we even exist, mm-hmm. and number two, how we're doing, what we do, how we lived, mm-hmm. and and what they can, what we can share with people. And that's a huge benefit to even asking about tribal tourism. Mm-hmm. I was on a national tourism board of directors for an organization called IANTA, mm-hmm. the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association. And so through that organization, I've been to been able to work at the 30,000 foot level with getting legislation passed through Congress called the Native Act. It's Native American Tourism and Improving Visitor Experience. Oh, okay. And it was introduced to Congress through um, Senator Schatz from Hawaii, and it was passed and signed into law by President Obama in September of 2016. Oh, wow. And now it receives, the organization receives federal funding to implement and carry out the Native Act. So federal agencies that have... Um, federal money for tourism and transportation, they uh, will be working with tribes, if they haven't already, to bring the tribal, local tribal people near national parks into tourism. And so it's us telling our own story. So I'm actually going to ask Scott a question. So for those who haven't met Scott, Scott, if you want to come just a little bit more, say hello to the camera. Uh, Scott is our representative from American Queen Voyages. And I want to ask you a little bit about itinerary because Desha, unfortunately, is leaving us tomorrow morning in Ketchikan. Um, So on the uh, itinerary going up, we have you for uh, Vancouver to Ketchikan. What about the itineraries coming down? Definitely. definitely. They get them at the end or? Uh, Vice versa, basically. So we do the expedition and the city visits at the beginning and then at the uh, when we meet at Ketchikan. Today's Main Streets of the World episode is proudly brought to you by Coasters and Castles Travel. Ready to bring your travel dreams to life? Look no further. Coasters and Castles Travel is your ultimate full-service agency, specializing in a wide range of travel experiences. From Disney destinations and Universal Studios parks and resorts, to cruises, ocean, river, expedition, and luxury. All-inclusive resort vacations, luxury escapes, European adventures, destination weddings, group travel, special needs travel, adult-only getaways, and of course, family adventures. Our team of expert travel advisors is here to craft the perfect journey for you. Whether you're seeking thrilling theme park experiences or luxurious cruises, every detail will be tailored to perfection. And if the world of travel planning beckons you. Coasters and Castles Travel is currently welcoming applications for travel advisors. For more details, explore www.travelcnc.com or reach out via email at info at 
www.thecoachmentor.com. Now let's dive back into the excitement. Okay. Okay. So you're pretty much on here for two nights, three nights, two nights? Um, well, six. We do the turnaround. So we yep. board in Ketchikan, sail down to Vancouver, pick up the next um, guests okay. on board, and then we sail back up to Ketchikan and disembark. Okay. Um, the, the vessel goes on to Sitka. Yeah. So way. it sounds like you have a week on, week off almost. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Are you the only representative that's doing partaking in this, or in this cruise? Yes, um, we have contracts with other cruise lines. Oh, great! This one, uh, Patricia did the cruise last week, and I'm on this week just to see what it is that we can provide and what kind of what we need to do to support our guides on board because this is a bigger ship than some, but smaller than others. Mm -hmm. So, so the clientele is different. They've been so wonderful. The visitors, uh, they just really touched my heart. And so I wanted to see for myself what this was like because it is a new contract and we want to take care of our customers. Mm -hmm. Well, we can say personally that we feel like you have. Yeah, Thank absolutely. We've learned a lot. Absolutely. Not as much as we should have because we didn't well, do as great on the trivia question. I know. Game, we but... missed a few of the trivia <laughs> questions. But, um, I got no. Haddock and Halibut and confused in my brain. Oh, no. Um, but so... As guests coming on, and Scott may be able to help with this answer too, is like what um, kind of excursions or adventures could someone partake in to learn specifically more about the tribes along the route? I don't think we have anything lined up for right now okay. uh, regarding that. Um, I know uh, when we visit the, the uh, different cities like uh, Ketchikan, Wrangell, um, you know, Petersburg, uh, and uh, we do cultural uh, you know, inclusions there. Right. A lot of our trips that are included um, if, for example, Petersburg, we, uh, we're, we'll actually go to the uh, Norwegian Town Hall and learn more about how the town was founded. Uh, they might do a ceremonial dance there, too, or uh, we might have uh, you know, some of their uh, snacks. But uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's a learning experience on all the included tours. Uh, just depends on which city that we're in. Sure, that's perfect. And how many, I know you've told us, but to share, how many tribes still exist in Alaska today? There's 11 different native groups, all with different languages, different stories of creation and migration and movement. But there's, um, within that, there are different dialects within those tribes. Uh, so if you're talking tribes, there's, in the whole U.S., there's over 500 tribes. Okay. Over 200, about 226 are in Alaska alone because mm -hmm. every community and village is considered its own tri uh, sovereign tribe oh, wow. and okay. has a government-to-government -government relationship with the United States. Okay. Wow. And how many members are within your tribe today, roughly? Oh, gosh. There's probably 45, 50,000. I could be off. Oh. Yes. Wow. But wow. that's that's not full blood. Um, sure. we've, we've intermarried and mixed quite a bit and there's, we're everywhere. <laughs> we are all over the United States and in wow. some other countries. So there are quite a few native people in Alaska. There's probably about 20 some percent of the population is Alaska native, which makes up about 150,000, maybe mm -hmm. people are Alaska native. Wow. That's fabulous. Wow. So are there still challenges that exist? I mean, I know there are, but what challenges exist today for the tribes? Like what, what can people do to kind of make things better for the tribes? Or Well, amongst ourselves, we could learn our languages. 
it is coming back. Like I said, it's being taught in the schools. Um, parents need to should be encouraging their children to learn the language, and they should support that. Um, they should take it themselves. And then having their children participate in the various camps, the culture camps that are offered, there's so many. Uh, my son goes to a lot of the culture camps, and he's learned how to carve paddles. He's learned how to do some dancing. Um, he tries to read the written language. It wasn't a written language before, but with tone marks and adaptations, it is a written language now. And so um, there's a lot of books being written about our culture and our people. So just supporting tribal tourism, just coming up and asking to be included on a cruise line that has a cultural interpreter on board is one of the only ways right now you can learn about us or visiting communities and and seeing some of the dance shows that are being offered, um, talking to us. That's, that's uh, number one. Uh, we're always happy to share. We love learning about different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you mentioned that there's not a lot that are 100%. Right. Um, I mean, we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I have ancestors that were from Sweden and France and um, a little bit of German, a little bit of who knows what else. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, that's normal for you know, other Americans as well, uh, to have that. Um, one of the things we did learn, we had uh, several different presentations that you've done on the yes. ship through the last couple of days. And uh, one of the, I think it was the very first one you did, you taught us a little bit about, you know, how your people cho- uh, traveled mm-hmm. and traded. Yes. And this is quite fascinating. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about that. Well, we did canoe journeys and we traveled as far south as Chile and into the Pacific Ocean to visit with the Hawaiians and the New Zealanders, the Maori people. And we did these trade journeys um, regularly. And so we traded with all the indigenous people along the coast. And then we followed the stars, the current, and the wind of the season mm-hmm. to make these various journeys. And, and they came to visit us too. So it's in our oral history that we made these journeys and met these people and it's in theirs that they came to see us. How about, how long would one of those journeys take? Oh I'm gosh. Thinking of, canoe? Like, yeah, I, I think it maybe a couple a of years. Going to Chile. Right. <laughs> well, um, because like I mentioned, the Klingit women wove sails, they could utilize the wind. Yep. And um, the way that the canoes, the dugout canoes were made, instead of riding over the waves, they cut through the waves. Okay. And so the, it's the hmm. way the bow is is designed. And so that probably helped. And then um, just knowing the route, having done it mm-hmm. for millenniums, it has been uh, the way that we, we knew. So we always did these trade journeys and we've, we've always been ocean going. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine. I mean, I, I can't. we have a hard enough time sometimes on a cruise ship. I Never know. mind, you know, <laughs> right. being in water yeah. in the rain. A canoe. Yeah. Going down the Pacific. Well, yeah. these were 70 foot long canoes. It's still. Oh, yes. wow. It's yes. still. Yes. Well, you have to have space because you're trading. So therefore you're bringing stuff home. Like right. you need to have somewhere to put the stuff in that long journey to come home. But right. I can't and imagine. There would be several canoes going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's it's Incredible. Absolutely incredible. They're way braver than I am. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. 
So are there any important messages that you've been really trying to relay as you talk to guests and, you know, different generations and that? Uh, what, what should people know and understand about the tribe? Well, that um, we're not all the same. We don't all speak the same language. And so the people further up north in the northern parts of Alaska, they are Inuit people. And there's Inupak and Yupik Inuits. And then in the interior are the Athabascan. Along the Aleutian Islands and south of Anchorage is the Aleut, Aleutic, Unangan, Zupiak people. And then in southeast are the Tlingit, Haida, and Shimshian. And then there's also Iak, which was kind of a, a, a mix of um, probably Athabascan, Tlingit, and um, Aleut people. So they had their own language too. Mm. So theirs has almost completely died out. Oh, um, oh, ours, wow. ours has not. In Western Alaska, among the Inuit people, they probably have been able to retain their language much more than we have. For many people in the villages, English is their second language. Their indigenous language is their first. I don't have a problem with that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good for everyone to know English. Right. I really do think yeah. it's good so that we can all communicate. Right. Because I know you gave us the word for cell phone, uh, which is more like a phrase. <laughs> yes. And, and well, that's kind of an interesting, just mentioning okay. that, how you have to find words for new words that are right. exist. Mm -hmm. So um, the word adaptation for cell phone is a two-day yukhat duatangayat. And that translates to the box in your pocket or pouch that talks that's just amazing that's what it is <laughs> yeah it just it's just funny to yeah you know to hear this big long name yes. and i get why because it's describing right. something and it cell phones obviously did not exist a million years ago right. Right. so it's hard to you know have something from the original language mm -hmm. that would actually do that mm -hmm. yes i'm exactly. sure any of the technological advances that we've had have all had to have new words created oh, yes absolutely but we do that too right yeah you know and yeah. 20 years ago, you would never have heard of Google it. Oh, no, no. Or Yahoo wouldn't have been. A, yeah. yeah. You know, that was a, a phrase cowboys used. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Um, so thinking back to your ceremonials mm -hmm. that you have, I know they're very, very important to your yes. tribe. Um, do you have a favorite? I think um, the Kuik or Potlatch, mm -hmm. it's a memorial ceremony. And um, it's for someone who's passed away about a year or two previous. And so when my uncle, who was a, an eagle, Moyeti, when he passed, my cousin, his son, invited all of us ravens as the honored guests. And so in the time it takes to prepare, they commission and buy and make gifts to give to all of the invited guests, the ravens. And so the ravens support them by donating money. And then the other eagles support the family by donating money. And so when the Kuik comes along, it's not only a memorial to honor the person who passed away, but they'll also combine it with um, naming ceremonies and adoptions and even weddings. Some Kuiks are done to celebrate the raising of a totem mm -hmm. or the um, completion of a house screen that's in the back of the clan house. Um, so those are very important. And in 1912, the government and um, other entities like churches thought that those were a pagan ceremony. And they said, well, you can't do those anymore. We're going to put an end to that. And so at the 1912 
1904 Potlatch and Sitka, they invited people thinking this would be the last one. And a lot of people came from all over to be there to witness it. And so what they figured out to do was they, they did this potlatch, but then they continued to do them in secrecy so that we wouldn't lose this important ceremony to our people. Because one of the most important um, functions that we have that follows protocol is to, we call it putting someone away. When they pass away, you do the, the funeral rites and, and everything exactly correctly and mm -hmm. respectfully. And so if a people can't do that, that just ruins the society, mm -hmm. I think. And so this we continue to do. I'm, I'm very happy that you're able to do that still. Yes. Um, and that, uh, you know, that you have that precious experience. Mm -hmm. um, so how many are in your family, your direct family? I know you have some children yes. and some grandchildren. Yes, I have um, six children I raised and I have from them, I have 12 grandchildren. Oh, and you have some grandchildren mm -hmm. that are the same age as your son. Yes, my my youngest son, um, we got him when he was six months old, and mm -hmm. he's 15 now. So him and five of my grandchildren are all 15 or 16 right now. <laughs> That's very awesome. special. It's funny because their uncle is maybe a little bit younger than them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Now, would, would, because he's an uncle, would he be considered an elder to them? Not, not an elder. Elder isn't just a chronological age it's um it's uh respected status okay. and so just because you may be 80 years old if you haven't done something that has been uh, a benefit and advancement of your your people you may not be called an elder by your tribe people who have done such things would have earned the, the term to be called elder. Okay. Well, yes. I'm going to assume that you have earned that <laughs> with all of your advocacy for your <laughs> your people. So it's been amazing learning about everything. I know we've never been exposed. I mean, we're from New England. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we certainly have, you know, local tribes that have been there and the history of that. But to be, we haven't been exposed to Alaskan tribes previously. So it's mm -hmm. really interesting to learn and mm -hmm. understand. I think the most important thing visitors should take away from this is to reach out and seek out this kind of experience mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we as a tribe have other tourism um, opportunities for visitors. We have, some of us have dance shows that we put on. Some of us like Huna Totem and Icy Straight Point have an actual highly developed destination. And so in Anchorage, there's the Alaska Native Heritage Center, which has dwellings, um, uh, that depict what it was like to live in each of the different native villages. Mm -hmm. And so they have various types of sod houses, a clan house, um, a driftwood house. They have everything. And so you can learn about all the native cultures there. But if you want to get the hands-on, one-on-one experience, I would seek out um, the cruise lines that offer our services or look up what's available in the communities that you're visiting because many of us tribes do have tourism businesses and gift shops and mm -hmm. such and for those who are you know watching if you're curious about what options are available we actually have rachel's card so we can contact her and find out what the best option is for you 
Yes. And one thing I want to just mention for people that you had mentioned the other day about the Silver Hand mm -hmm. program, yes. just to make sure that people, you know, as they want to learn more about the tribes and are supporting the tribes, that they're getting um, true information, true yes. products and not imposter. Right. Um, everywhere you go, you know, there's there's things that you can buy that weren't made locally or indigenous. And so the state of Alaska has a Silver Hand program and Alaska Natives can apply to receive those to put on items that they make. So if you're shopping and you want an authentic carved little totem or authentically made moccasins, the ones that have a little black sticker with a silver hand are authentic. The rest okay. probably are not. Might be made in China. Yes. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I mean, and what might be some examples of things that people couldn't, you know, what would be representative of Alaskan art that they could buy or, you know, handcrafts that have been made? Right. Um, well, there's so many artists who create things like um, my my silver bracelets. These are, um, these can have carvings, a little bit so these have carvings on them of eagles and ravens. And so a long time ago, in order to give some of the native people in Southeast mm -hmm. a vocation, the um, churches and missionaries, they would give them silver spoons, silver ware to make into jewelry to sell. Oh, wow. So they would have some income. And um, so in other places, uh, Native people began to sell the baskets that they made that they would mm -hmm. normally use to pick berries or cook in or store things in. That became a, a highly sought after collector item. Um, these robes <laughs> we buy from each other, we commission the opposite uh, moiety of us to make these. Um, there's uh, an artist in Juneau who has, with another artist, made a resin mold for totems. Oh, and wow. so it is as authentic as you can get without having to have him carve each one. Mm -hmm. And so the designs, the crests that are on them are authentic. And mm -hmm. um, those are very good. They're very well made. So we're getting into that area to mm -hmm. to produce things that would normally take days if you wanted a small authentic totem you could expect to pay about two or three hundred dollars oh it's a lot of work yes yeah. it is and it is somebody hand carving that yes yeah. and painting having the knowledge um the totems that are being recarved now the ones that are 20 30 feet high those depending on who the artist is um cost about four or five thousand dollars a foot Oh my word! To commission to have carved, wow. and they are being carved now. Oh, good! Yes. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think, in generally, in any culture, yes, a way to help the people mm -hmm. is to some support them financially by yes. purchasing their goods. Right. Exactly. It gives them purpose. It mm -hmm. gives them income. Right. And I think that's always a healthy way of of supporting yes, cultures. Yes, we appreciate it. We tend to, cr to yeah. uh, we'll, we'll contribute to the local economy. That will be no problem. So, yes. um, any last thoughts that you'd like to leave our, our listeners and our viewers? Well, the visitors on this sailing have been so wonderful. And I almost never have a bad experience with visitors. They're so curious and kind. And they've spent money to come here. So they're investing in what it is that they're doing. And that's no small feat. And we recognize that and appreciate it. And we, in exchange, want to give them a memory 
we want to give them something of value that they can take home. Mm -hmm. Well, we're excited to have been here and to have shared this time with you. Um, um, we had somebody in the room who happened to have left uh, someone who was observing our, our podcast today. Um, uh, but I know you did say at one point that, you know, you were okay with questions that people might not be comfortable asking. Right. I, I don't mind answering questions that people feel uncomfortable asking because, you know, those are the questions that they don't know. They don't understand something about our culture. And so if I know what to tell them, I'll tell them. Mm -hmm. or I'll find someone who can. You know, our people have had to become uh, highly educated to mm -hmm. live in this world. And so their education comes from their cultural knowledge and from Western lifestyles, mm -hmm. you know. And so the, um, the colonization has brought us to the same playing field as everybody else. Mm -hmm. So as mm -hmm. long as people look at us in that way and treat us that way, you know, we can all get along. We well, can teach each other. Absolutely. We feel blessed to have met you, you. Absolutely. and blessed that you were in, really appreciative that you could take time today to talk to us. Thank yeah. you. You're and wonderful. for our viewers and listeners, we will have another guest on shortly. Well, we certainly hope you had enjoyed our chat with uh, Disha. And I do want to give a quick uh, note to or mention to our sponsor. Uh, we are sponsored by Coasters and Castles Travel, of which April and I are the owners of the agency. Uh, we do uh, feature or uh, specialize in theme park travel, ocean, river, of course, expedition cruises. Um, we specialize in all-inclusives. We specialize in... Um, uh, and, and we specialize in Europe. Sorry, my, this is my train of thought a little bit today. Um, we are actually also accepting new applications. So if you have wanted to be a travel advisor, then now is the time to get started. This business is, start, is really booming. It is great because it gives you the chance to own your own business. And when you sign on with Coasters and Castles Travel, we do have a training program for our agents, or our advisors I'll go through. And then we also have a wonderful support network. So that's something that we really pride ourselves on. So you are given the opportunity to build your own business with guidance and assistance and mentorship and a wonderful family atmosphere. Um, we are very, very proud of the, the family that this agency has become. So if you're interested in that, just go to our website, which is travelcnc.com. And then you'll see the an About Us button, click on that and then choose Join Us and you'll find some information about the role there. And then click on the Get More Information and you'll get our application emailed to you. From there, if you are just looking to have somebody help you out with travel, because travel advisors are the way to go. Uh, you really want to have that support system when you are traveling. Uh, you know, they're very knowledgeable. We go through a lot of different trainings to make sure that we can fully help our clients. For that, go to the same website, travelcnc.com. You're going to see a big red button that says, get started planning now. Go ahead and click on that. You will then be brought to a page. You can choose an advisor or you can have um, one of us choose for you. And then we'll reach out and set up a consultation with you. We can also be reached by phone at 844-422-8785. That's our toll-free number. And you can always email us at info at travelcnc.com. So now we're going to go on to hear from Christina. And 
She will talk a little bit about whales, and then we're going to be following up with that with Jess. But I'll be back in a little bit to introduce Jess to you. Well, today we are excited to welcome Christina with American Queen Voyages. And Christina is a big whale lover, but she's part of the expedition team. So welcome. Thank you. So what's your favorite kind of whale? Orcas. Um, everybody loves orcas, but... I'm loving more and more of these humpback whales. They when I was cool. a lot younger, I used to think, I'm not going to like humpback whales because everybody loves them. But then I started working with them while living in Hawaii, and it's just like, all right, I guess. And I just, <laughs> they are just the most magnificent things. So you live in Maui, correct? Yeah, Maui, Hawaii. And you get to see them all the time there. Um, yeah, whenever they're there, if January, February, March, if you don't see whales gotta get this checked well that's fine reason for me to go definitely reason for me to go um so how long have you been doing expeditions oh this is my first season so it's pretty new to me i just i've been driving charter um snorkel and whale watching boats for the last year and a half and i've been working out on the water for about eight years before that and took a couple of years off here and there so we're just on the water a lot I'll have to say, as somebody who has some mobility issues, I'm I am super impressed with the team. You know, and I've been in your zodiac and in uh, for our expedition and in your zodiac to go into the town today, and you have the best expressions. So you were you were talking about um, um, some little yeah, some little noise somebody made this morning. You went whoop or something like that. I forget exactly what it was. I don't know. It might have been the otters. Maybe it was the otters. Baby otters. Oh, it was the baby otters. Yes. <laughs> yesterday. No, just yesterday. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about them yesterday. Yeah, the little scream that the baby otters make. It's like, it's our. Yeah. So we do have some other people in the library with us. So if you hear other voices, that's what that is. So apologize for that. Um, so we saw our mother and a baby. And uh, the mother was laying in the ground. Not the ground. <laughs> laying in the ground. The laying in the water. Belly up. belly up with the baby on the, on the chest. Otters, uh, not whales. Yes. Yes. But she loves so many animals. Um, and then, um, okay, so you came on the last voyage with American Queen Voyages, correct? From... I have been on board since April 25th. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I did the VIP tour, and then we started <clears throat> our first charter in Vancouver. So this is my third time going up to Sitka, and so this will be the my second round trip. Okay. And uh, did you just see the... the um, Orcas and the humpback whales, or what other whales did you see? Uh, this trip, we've only seen the orcas and humpback whales. And the last charter coming up around Finn Island, we did see a couple of fin whales along with humpback whales. And then when we were coming down from Sitka into Queen Charlotte Sound on our way down from Vancouver, yeah, I'm sorry, into Vancouver uh, to go down to Vancouver, uh, sorry, I was saying south around Vancouver Island to go to Vancouver. Um, we saw there was this very spread out group of humpback whales, and right in the middle was a fin whale. Is that normal behavior? <laughs> I mean, they're all after the same kind of food. Okay. Small little things and lots of small little things, fish and krill. They're little, little like capelins, herring, sardines, all the same things. Well, that's very interesting. Um, and you, I'm guessing, are watching and studying some of their behaviors for yeah. your, as part of your job. Yes, yeah, so that I can help interpret what's going on. 
Um, although they do, the humpback whales do exhibit very different behaviors up here than they do in Maui, mm -hmm. since that is their breeding grounds and this is their feeding grounds. So a little bit different things that they do up here. And, but it's really great to see. I've seen a couple of mom-calf pairs, so my little babies oh. are coming up here. They're surviving. Oh. Some of them are. Oh. Most of them are. Most of them yeah. do, really. They have a very good uh, survival rate on their way up. It's like right around 70%. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. And whales, are they matriarchal? Humpback whales are not in any sort of matriarchal society like orcas are. Okay. Moms and babies stay together for a year, and about 11 months a year, is she gives birth to the calf in the breeding grounds, takes it up to her feeding grounds, and then completes her job as a mom, takes it back down to the breeding grounds, and then separates from the calf. We don't know how that process goes. Mm -hmm. It could be like uh, where she's got a real independent kid that doesn't even wave when <laughs> she drops him off in Hawaii. Bye-bye! Yeah, not even that. Or she could have a real like stage five clinger, and she's just got to be like, look at that dolphin over there! And then swim the other way. Oh. But we don't really know how that whole thing goes. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So up here, they're doing lots of feeding, getting fattened up for when they do make that migration down to the breeding grounds because there's no food for them in the breeding grounds. Mm -hmm. So they have to eat as much as they can up here. And part of that has to do with the amount of plankton that's in these waters, correct? Um, plankton. It's like phytoplankton, plankton, small fish, bigger fish. And it works its way up the food chain, but these whales eat the plankton and smaller fish. Mm -hmm. so things farther down in the food chain. Because they're baleen whales. They don't have any teeth. I do know that one. <laughs> I've been to on many, many whale watches in New England, and they also have um, a lot of humpback whales there. So they it's they have, fun to see out there. Yeah, they have the Atlantic, the western atlantic population that breed down around the caribbean mm -hmm. and then they feed up around me it's always fun having them come up because if you do get lucky enough to go out in the early spring that's where they tend to do a lot of the breaching they'll do breaching a lot throughout the whole summer as far as, as far as i know especially in the breeding grounds my gosh my whales are just they are air happy they're all trying to dry off <laughs> like that term you know I've not seen one in the wild do that. I'm definitely looking forward to Hopefully so. We'll see that. one on the trip. I just have to see a whale first. <laughs> I've only seen the doll's no. porpoise, but that was neat. They're I actually saw cute. some last night. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did see some on the way out of the inlet. Um, yeah. Coming out of the inlet, we were able to see... I really do love our piano player. Tim is awesome. He sings. He's fantastic. <laughs> So you said you, you saw some doll's porpoise. Yeah, when we were coming out um, past Ketchikan and then starting to head north, mm -hmm. right before we made the turn to head north, Eileen and I saw a group of four, like two miles ahead and a pair about a mile ahead. But then as we were coming up, we got sidetracked and we didn't get to really get pay attention close, to yeah. where they were. And therefore, like an hour. Yeah, I kept, actually last night I kept seeing some fins, but they were quick. It yeah. was like, beep, beep. Of the doll's porpoise? Yeah. Oh, I think it no, was. I was talking about the humpback whales. We were seeing the blows. Oh, yeah, yeah, No, whales. I didn't see that. I saw some doll's porpoise because I saw the fins. Yeah, we saw some and of those. That was all I saw. They're so fast. <laughs> Unless they're really trying to keep up with the ship, there's no They were going the opposite like, way. And then, yeah, they have to go with the ship yeah. <laughs> for us to, like, make any sort of announcement. So and it fast. was funny because I kept seeing them, and then I thought, oh, my goodness, no, I'm not really seeing one. But then I look behind, and there's a little bit of a trail in the water. 
And I'm like, I am seeing something yeah. out there. So and if they stay really close to the surface, but not break the surface, you can't see that little trail of their fin kicks. Yeah. And then they fly out of the water and they have a over-exaggerated splash for how big a dolphin that they are. It's really interesting. It's just like this whitewater mohawk that they leave. They're yeah. so funny. So have you done the um, Antarctica? No, not yet. That's hopefully this winter. We'll You're braver than I am. Yeah. It'll be our winter, their summer. It's not that. It's Drake's <laughs> Passage. I've heard nightmares about that. Yeah, you don't get seasick, Drake, I take it. I do. Oh, really? Every once in a while. You like, wear a patch? No, usually boning. Boning's my jam. It's, Dramamine is just not a good choice. Um, but boning or meclizine is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those work really well when they are. Well, she is being paid, so we do want to thank you for sure. stopping by. Thank and you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, we'll Bye. see you tomorrow. More adventure. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Welcome back. So I really hope you enjoyed our chat with Christina. I loved chatting with her. And you will notice there's some background noise in these because we were in the library and there's other people going on. In fact, you'll notice with Jess, we actually get interrupted and Jess actually isn't able to join us back again after. So we have a very short time with Jess. Um, but we, you'll have to hear why we got called away. And honestly, we were ready to go as well. So I hope you enjoy the, the chat with Jess next and I'll be back on at the very end. So we are excited to welcome Jess. She is the expedition leader with American Queen Voyages on the Ocean Victory. And they're calling. <laughs> She's always at work, I'm telling you. Never stopping. Never yeah. stopping. Yeah. So we're going to let it sit for a second so we can do that. And they finished it. So, for now. <laughs> for now. There's always fun things to be had out here. So they announce it. That's why. Yeah. So you've been an expedition leader for a while now, correct? Yes, that's correct. I've been it for about six. This is my seventh summer as a water-based, a marine-based expedition. So much fun. It is fun. It's, it's, I've been lucky. I, I've been working in Alaska for the past, this is summer number seven. And then I've been lucky to be in Hawaii and Baja. There's... Um, it's a really it's tough a life. Tough life. Hawaiian winter. Hawaiian winters. That is funny. That is funny. So today, and I'm going to kind of talk about this because this is your passion. Today we have the opportunity to. It happens. It happens. Uh, we had the opportunity to go. Okay, I'll meet you on that side. Garnet mining. <laughs> We did. It was good. Yes, I haven't had a chance to look at And I even oh brought gosh, some with me. Of course. Look at you. Great I got job. some pretty good ones in there. Wow, 10 points. Yeah. I, I went on this excursion too today. I was there right before you. Yeah. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It was, it was amazing. So much fun. Oh, I will say I'm going to be quite black and blue tomorrow because oh. I hit this knuckle about no. 50 times and this one about 20 times and this one about 10 times. Was it worth it for <laughs> Absolutely. Your it was. I would do it again. It, you know, our only real complaint was that it was. I know, I agree. I think we would like to have more time to because yeah. you know by the time the time it takes to get up there and get settled and to figure out what you're doing, so you're just trying to get a rhythm, and then they called like, "Oh, it's almost time to go." I'm like, "What?" I know. I was <laughs> torn away quickly. as well. Yeah. I was chiseling into the mountainside. I had this whole plan going. I was working a seam and peeling off huge, massive ch- chunks oh, of rock. Wow. That's probably why they said like. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Yeah, he told us we could take as many big rocks as we wanted to. As many rocks as you can carry. But here's the thing. 
We have to fly with them on the plane. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Those I do pesky well. 50 pound limits. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> so, so. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But can you tell us a little bit about the expeditions that someone might enjoy when they take a uh, a cruise sure. on Ocean Victory? Yeah, so um, one thing that I think is really unique about Ocean Victory is that it gives equal um, attention to a traditional expedition day, and it gives equal attention to a traditional, small, intimate town day. So we alternate back and forth. So we go to cute little towns, Petersburg, Wrangell. Uh, we end up in Sitka, which is a, a local favorite. And then we alternate that by doing full-on expedition days, which are kayaking, zodiacing, hands-on science presentations that are um, designed by an institute called Sitka Sound Science. And we work with our scientists on board to create those and facilitate those. And then we also do naturalism. So on an expedition day, you are fully immersed in learning about the and being here with it, um, seeing whatever you'll see out there on the Zodiac or the kayak, and then coming back and exploring further lecture. And so it's a half, half. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the best of both worlds on a gorgeous ship. I think it's a stepping stone to somebody who might want to do regular expeditions. Yes, that's true. Or it's a step back from people who have done regular expeditions, maybe for their entire lives, but who are getting into retirement and who want it to easy mm-hmm. and who want to actually have a vacation and not mm-hmm. need a vacation from their vacation at the end. <laughs> you know, it's, it's we need that, that. <laughs> lovely, like, middle ground, you know? <laughs> oh, she's got to grab that real quick. Sorry. No worries. Go for Jess. Um, I can come and meet you somewhere. Would you like me to? I'm up on eight. Work. I got some blows at 11 o'clock on the shoreline. I don't know if it's just humpies or if it's more. Copy. Um, I will be there shortly. So one really cool thing about expedition cruising is that we are always on the lookout for wildlife. Mm-hmm. And right now, we have some reports of whale action in uh, the vicinity. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Bridge. For your information, we are uh, getting closer. Great, I'll be right there. So you know what? I have to go. So we're gonna pause because we want to go too. Wow, I certainly hope you loved our chats with Jasha, Christina, and uh, and Jess. Um, we really enjoyed spending time with them. Uh, Christina was one of the, my Zodiac drivers on the first day I was on there. And we, we kind of um, spent a good amount of time in other times when we were at the, on the ship because I loved asking her a lot of questions. And she's so knowledgeable about the wildlife. At one point, you know, it was actually a different day. We were outside and, and we saw a bunch of otters. And there was an otter mom with a pup on her chest. And Christina was telling us all about how the otter moms will let the sea kelp, which is big seaweed, guys, it really is. It actually t- tastes pretty good. I t- tried some. Um, but she, they would let the sea kelp babysit the pups. So they would take their pups, wrap them up in the seaweed and the kelp, and then go do what they need to do. And then they come back and get the baby and then just float along. Uh, we saw a lot of otters. I was shocked at how big they were. So that was a lot of fun. Um, next week, you're going to hear from Olin, who is from Cal Poly. And he loves seaweed. We actually did a, a little art project with seaweed. And um, then you're also going to hear from Sophia, who is another whale specialist. Super, super passionate about them. 
and uh, just really a great conversation. So we hope you listen in for next week and have a great night, everyone. Bye-bye. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the Main Street to the World podcast, your gateway to the wonders of travel. We hope you've enjoyed this exploration of new destinations and unique experiences. If you're ready to embark on your own unforgettable journey, remember that Coasts and Castles Travel is here to make your dreams And that wraps up another exciting episode of the Main Street to the World podcast, your gateway to the wonders of travel. We hope you've enjoyed this exploration of new destinations and unique experiences. If you're ready to embark on your own unforgettable journey, remember that Coasts and Castles Travel is here to make your travel dreams a reality. Whether you're seeking the magic of theme parks, the luxury of exotic getaways, or the thrill of cruising, our expert team has you covered. Visit our website at www.travelcnc.com to discover a world of travel possibilities. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode filled with travel tips, destination highlights, and inspiring stories. Feel free to connect with us on social media. We're under Main Street to the World on both Facebook and Instagram. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the Main Street to the World podcast, your gateway to the wonders of travel. We hope you've enjoyed this exploration of new destinations and unique experiences. And this sucks. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the Main Street to the World podcast your gateway to the wonders of travel. We, we hope that you've enjoyed this exploration of new destinations and unique experiences. April, Whitney, and I certainly thank you for listening today. If you're ready to embark on your own unforgettable journey, remember that Coasts and Castles Travel is here to make your travel dreams a reality. Whether you're seeking the magic of theme parks, the luxury of exotic getaways, or the thrill of cruising, our expert team has you covered. Visit our website at www.travelcnc.com to discover a world of travel possibilities. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode filled with travel tips, destination highlights, and inspiring stories. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Main Street to the World to share your thoughts, experiences, and suggestions for future episodes. Thank you for tuning in to Main Street to the World. Until next time, keep exploring, keep adventuring, and keep making memories all around this incredible planet of ours. Safe travels, all!